Welcome to the Innovation Engine Podcast. I'm Will Sherlin, and on this week's episode, we'll take a look at filling your product pipeline with innovative offerings, the best ways to source and manage ideas for new products, what you need to know and measure when launching new products to the marketplace, and how to know when it's time to put existing products out to pasture. Here with us today to discuss all that and more is Blair Miller, who since 1990 has run Blair Miller Innovation, an innovation shop that has served numerous Fortune 500 companies, including Cadbury Schweppes, Coca-Cola, DuPont, Deloitte, Kodak, and many more. Among Blair's many bona fides in the innovation world, perhaps the most notable is that he is creator and publisher of Foresight, the breakthrough thinking profile, a diagnostic tool that has offered thousands of individuals and teams the ability to see how their personal problem-solving style affects their creative output. Welcome to the podcast, Blair. Well, thank you. Thank you, Will. All right, so Blair, at the risk of sounding redundant, you've been an innovator in the innovation space for more than two decades. So we really could have taken this conversation today in any number of directions, but the one that we ended up settling on is how companies can fill their product pipeline. Because at the end of the day, even if you're in the services world, you're selling a product. That may be your people, that may be your hours, but you're selling a product. So the one thing that every single business alive today has in common is that they're selling products in some form or fashion. So for companies that are looking to come up with the next big thing, what should be their first step in filling the product pipeline with potential ideas? Good question. And I like the way you're framing it. Whether or not you're a single shingle or a Fortune 100 company, I'm going to take it back one step before you actually get ideas into your, your pipeline. And that is to say, work on the foundation, work on the fundamentals. And that is creating that climate for creativity, for innovation. As, as a leader of the organization, are you personifying? Are you walking the uh, walk? Are you talking the talk? Are you modeling the way for how ideas and new products, new services, new businesses can flourish in the company? Do your employees and teams have the tacit knowledge for driving innovation in the organization and the explicit knowledge? Have you done your homework to have appropriate creativity tools, insight tools to drive innovation? Now, that said, you got the foundation, sort of like fitness. You've got to get organizational fitness, just like personal fitness. You've got to work out. You've got to make sure you're paying attention to it. Once you have that in place, you got good practices, then you can go ahead and be sure you're doing the basics, listening to your customers, paying attention to what they're saying, where they're, where they're uh, happy with your products or services, where they're unhappy, what you're your competitors are doing, keeping an eye on the marketplace. What's happening in your market that you should be keeping uh, uh, your eye open for? And once you, you see that there are changes to go in, generate ideas, uh, start doing some formation of, of, of initial concepts. Okay, great. 
And do you have recommendations for the best way to capture those ideas and keep them moving through the product development process? You know, I've tried just about every method out there. Uh, I've had the chance to uh, prototype lots of idea capturing systems. Back in 1990, I was at a conference where IBM actually rolled in all of these workstations and did one of the very first electronic uh, brainstorming sessions. And they've certainly gotten a lot better since then. But I'm still old school. There's nothing like paper and pencil and highly creative people bouncing ideas off of each other in real time. The crashing together of uh, a highly collaborative, creative group of people can go a lot faster and a lot more uh, productively when you're in person. Now that I, you know, that said, not you can't always do that, but that's really my my preference is to have one-on-one. Uh, if you have really good conference conference calling uh, type capability, you can do that. Uh, from multiple locations. But once you have ideas, I think getting all of those things captured, at least at the pre-concept stage or concept stage, getting them into some sort of, if you're a big enough shop, to get those into some kind of relational database where you can track the consumer insights or the market trends and the ideas that were generated or the concepts generated that perhaps weren't chosen to go uh, forward to full development, but when you're, when you're going off to, to start a new project, you can sample in what, what were the ideas that, a, uh, that groups were generating uh, the year before or a couple of years before, and you can use those ideas as springboards. That's uh, uh, going all over the map, but I think is, uh, uh, is being adopted by more and more companies. And do you recommend that companies have one dedicated person whose job it is to manage this process from end to end? Well, you know, that's, uh, that's always my preference, is that there is somebody whose responsibility it is to track ideas as they're coming into the system and to make sure that they're not getting lost in the, in the shuffle, uh, not getting lost due to people's day-to-day uh, responsibilities, the day-to-day grind of just managing the business or running the business. But whether or not it's an individual who's responsible or a team, uh, that is where the art comes in. It depends on how large the company is. But I would say at least somebody who has that as a part of their job description important. Okay, great. So question there. One of the things that a number of guests on the podcast have talked about is the importance of both convergent and divergent thinking to drive innovation. So once someone has gone through the process of casting a wide net and coming up with as many ideas as they can for new products to build, how do you then recommend that they go about converging down to a set number of ideas that they can feasibly take from concept to marketplace? You know, that's a good question, and that's what 
every everyone who's ever been a part of a, an ideation session where they come up with hundreds, maybe even thousands of ideas, uh, that's their, their, their nightmare. How do we select down without throwing the baby out with the bathwater, right? I think it's always important before you get started to identify your success criteria. Like, what does success look like? What are, what are the features that good potential ideas are going to look like? Or what, 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 what are going to be some of those criteria? So that if you're in the moment and you need to converge, say, in a session, that you have criteria that you can review, review with everybody that has uh, already been looked at. And then it's a matter of screening, sorting, and selecting. Uh, a, a tool I like just to go from a great many ideas down to a few is something like highlighting, hitting, uh, identifying the ideas that seem to be head and shoulders above the rest, clustering like ideas together or uh, duplicates, and then uh, uh, coming up with some restatement or some uh, broad categorization. Even if that's only going to be a temporary screening, at least that gives the group time then to take some of those clusters, some of those idea clusters, and begin the process of going into long-form elaboration, taking those initial ideas and putting meat on the bones, putting, putting color, tonality, specifics. And once those start getting uh, more specified, even a single idea cluster can get multiple expressions. Then it's really a matter of resources how much time you have, how much money you have, how many people do you have to, after the session, go through and uh, identify, did we, did we make good selections during the session? And that good old elbow grease, taking your criteria and applying it to what was selected and some of the ones that were not selected. Okay, got it. And is there any kind of formula for innovation and new product development that companies should generally look to follow? So, for example, companies with, let's say, $100 million in annual revenue should allocate X percent of their annual budget to R&D to fuel their product pipeline, whereas companies with $1 billion in revenue should allocate X percent of theirs? You know, well, that's, that's like one of those classic questions, right? It's, it's the brass ring. Uh, let me, you know, give me the guidance. What should I allocate in the budget? Mm -hmm. And honestly, there is no answer. Uh, there's no set answer for that. It really depends on the strategic goals of the company. If, for instance, uh, if the company is geared to be a disruptor in the marketplace, uh, they want to really be the company that comes out with the next big wow idea, the next iPhone 12, they may allocate 40, 50, 60% of revenue the, at that level. Uh, if the company says uh, their strategic intent is to be fast followers, they may have a much, much smaller percentage, but 
they're going to spend more time on rapid duplication and perhaps more revenue into advertising and distribution, for instance. Sure. So in, in the second case, with rapid duplication, their R&D would be, as, uh, as one of my old friends, Dan Clausen, used to call it, rip off and duplicate. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, the, uh, you know, there are some great books that uh, are out. Uh, the, the, there's one, uh, The Power of Three, uh, where often, you know, it's, it's, the, uh, it's the first place company in the market that will spend a lot of time on R&D. But it's those in third place, uh, second and third place, that are doing the rapid, uh, uh, rapid, fast followership. Right. So, yeah, for, first mover advantage is not always necessarily an advantage in this day and age. No, because that window is closing. You know, I mean, there, there still is an advantage. Sure. But, uh, yeah, it's dwindling, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. So... We're living in an age, Blair, where seemingly everything can be measured, managed, and tweaked. Big data is, you know, is a huge buzzword, and obviously an- analytics have been around for a while, and, and companies are constantly looking to figure out what exactly they can tweak, what knobs they can tweak to optimize return on investment, revenue production. For companies looking to measure the ROI of their new product development efforts, when should that measurement process start, and what are some of the business metrics that should be measured in any innovation engagement? You know, uh, this one is it, it's it's tough, isn't it? When I started uh, back in the day, when I started, the uh, the the ROI was often uh, measured on a basis of three to five years out. And the target was, say, 100 million, uh, uh, 100 million in top line growth over three to five years. Uh, with the same company, it was a large CPG. With the the same company, within oh, six seven years, that time had gone in half. They'd cut the time in half, and it had gone to 500 million. So. What's you know that generally what they take into account for products that actually make it to market uh, is they account for the cost of the front end research, all of the research that went into trend spotting, market research, the initial consumer insight work on a strategic initiative, the packaging. Uh, advertising, marketing, operations, uh, you know, getting up to uh, getting operations up to to a level, and then distribution. You know, whether or not you have to pay slotting fees or what's it going to cost to get it out into into your market. It's a it's tricky. It's tricky because obviously there's a lot of ideas that don't make it to the light of day, and you you have to you have to uh, figure out where those costs are going to lie in your in your ROI. Is that all going to get lumped into only the successful products, or are you going to have that just be a cost of doing business? Sure. And and you mentioned you started Blair Miller, or I mentioned in the intro you started Blair Miller Innovation in 1990. 
uh, and you talked just a second ago about some of the changes you've seen, whereas the, they're looking for higher return on investment in a shorter period of time. What other kinds of changes have you seen in the innovation challenges that companies face since you started your company in 1990? Are you seeing uh, more requests for help in launching products in the digital realm or the software realm? Well, the demand on a new product to be everywhere at once uh, and to, to have a, a, a very robust entrance, that's really uh, brought on a lot more pressure. The, the pressure of mass customization in almost every product category is another criteria that I think a lot of companies are, are, are feeling as pressure. I think, I think it's, it's also tough on a lot of companies now who are looking to learn how to innovate. There's the, the market has become very crowded and that's a, that's a double-edged sword. It's, it's a really good thing that you have innovation providers today that are full-service shops. They'll do everything from come up with the idea for your new, your new business or a new product line, uh, and they'll follow that through all the way to market introduction, and some will even manage, manage your business uh, at a cost. And then uh, you have other people who, who swear by a particular process or a methodology. So it, it can become a, a, a daunting task for somebody just entering the space. And so I think those, those are pressures on the, on the company or on the, the, uh, the, the employee who's been tasked with make our company more innovative. They can they can be faced with a, a daunting array of directions and advice. And when you say, can you elaborate on mass customization a little bit? Well, this expectation in the marketplace that a product be tailored to my needs, my specific needs and wants, and yet is mass produced to a to such a degree that the cost is very low. So the feature needs to, to be tailored to a particular set of needs or that can be tailored by the end user or even at the retail level so that it looks like a unique product for the, for the consumer. Okay. Uh, I think you know, think of uh, automobiles now that that are having fully featured sound systems where you can download your own, your very own playlist and navigation preferences. The car becomes yours uh, almost immediately. Okay, got it. So what are some of the leading indicators for companies that a product that they have that already exists in the marketplace is losing traction to the competition and maybe in need of a refresh or or a, a total replacement. Again, that's that's one of those situations where it, it depends on the strategic goals of the company. If if you're a venture capital group or, or, or you're you're a group that's just trying to buy up robust brands, 
but you don't want to put any uh, real effort in refreshing the brands. You just want to ride it and take out whatever value you can before the, the brand dies. You know, the answer is you don't do anything uh, other than maybe refresh packaging every once in a while. And there's unfortunately, well, fortunately or unfortunately, there's a lot of examples like that. If, if you've got a product or service that you, you, you do have interest in keeping in front of the market, I think you have to, to look at your, your growth rate, your penetration rate. Growth rate is probably the easiest. You know, you can know how many widgets are you producing and is that going up or down. If it's starting to, if it's starting to, to uh, taper off, if the curve is tapering off, then you want to sit up and, and, and start filling up your, your, your pipeline. Another way is keeping your eye out on the competition. How many competitors do you have? If, if you're in a, a place where you are a fast follower, uh, how many fast followers have gone in since you got in? Or if you're a disruptor, is, is, your, is your share of the market declining to a point where you need to get on the stick and, and pull in one of your, your new disruptive products? And that, of course, would be if, you, if, if your lead gets down below 30% or so. Okay. And do you recommend that filling the product pipeline be something that's a continual process, or is it more something that you would do, you know, quarterly or bimonthly or you know a few times a year, and then execute against for the rest of the year? You know, well, uh, yes and, yes and. You know, yes, have a formal process that's happening once or twice a year. Maybe it's quarterly, but uh, you know, likely. You'll, you'll have your hands full doing it once or twice a year. Keep that formal process robust. And uh, like we said earlier, have somebody keeping their eye on that and, and giving regular updates on, on how, how projects are progressing. And have an equally robust stream of innovations, ideas coming from the organization itself. You know, have people who are paying attention, listening to customers, suggesting alternatives, ways we can better serve serve the customer, uh, ways to improve the product, even even uh, ways to reduce spending or to improve all of the offerings that the company is giving. That that organizational fitness for creativity. That. Are, is everybody seeing that the company needs their eyes, their ears, their best thinking for keeping the company robust and strong and uh, ahead of the game? So, so cast a wide net when, when seeking those uh, innovative ideas. Yeah, cast that wide net and be always honing your climate for creativity that people feel that it's it's not only welcome, it's expected that they be a part of bringing new ideas to the company and to the clients. Okay, great. So one question for you. I think we're running a little low on time, Blair, but we would have had you on sooner if not for a, a trip to Kuwait that you made earlier this year. 
So you're yeah. in, you're an international man of innovation. Uh, what are the folks over in Kuwait looking to learn that that you and Russ were able to bring to them? You know, what's really exciting over there is that there uh, are people who are just itching to uh, make improvements to their economy, to the organizations that they're serving in. They're looking to bring forth uh, innovation into their economy to look at new new businesses, new markets that extend not just their 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 petroleum business, but the the financial institution. Uh, Kuwait has uh, is a is a center of finance in the region, but also in other areas in logistics and uh, consumer uh, uh, products. There's uh, uh, innovations from the small the small startups. They've got a highly educated uh, youth who really are looking for ways to get involved in the in not only their own economy, but into the global economy. And we're very excited to have a, a, a relationship with uh, the groups that we have, and we're looking forward to extending it. We think that's a region of the world that can really benefit from the power of really good thinking. And we're, we're looking forward to, to maintaining and, and extending that relationship. Thanks for asking. Yeah, of course. So don't want to take too much of your time, but any famous last words for folks who are listening out there and looking to fill their product pipeline with innovative new ideas that could become the next big thing? Well, I don't know if they're, uh, they're, they're uh, famous words, but I would say keep at building your mindset for creativity, building a robust tool set that you maintain and extend and continually work on your skills, those particular creativity skills, leadership skills that you can can really be creating robust, dynamic businesses. A world of great opportunity. There's a lot. There's a lot of good things happening right now, and I, my my best of luck to everybody who's uh, down on the court and in the game. Okay, great. So once again, Blair Miller, the creator and publisher of Foresight, the Breakthrough Thinking Profile, a diagnostic tool that has offered thousands of individuals and teams the ability to see how their personal problem-solving style affects their creative output. If you're interested in learning more, you can visit his website at blairmiller.com and read more about the products and services they offer. Blair, thanks so much for joining us today. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Will. Thanks again to Blair Miller for joining us this week, and thank you for joining us this week. Don't forget to tune in to next week's episode when we're excited to have Janine Ray, founder and CEO of Motive Strategies on the podcast, to talk about innovation and customer experience, how to create the optimal customer experience in a world where those interactions increasingly occur online, what customer experience means for the 80% of companies that are in the services space, and why creating customer experiences that leave lasting impressions is a must for companies that want to maintain long-term success. Thanks so much for joining us, and we'll see you next week.